This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. This week, we continue to take a look at what makes a sporting club or franchise a successful one on and off the pitch, what the best clubs in modern day sports get right and what the others are getting wrong. All that and more coming right up. Hello and welcome to The Back Pass. I'm your host Shivang Dube and today with me, I'm supported by a regular panelist, Gurpreet Singh Rana and back from his recent transfer from Australia to New Zealand, Ali Milwala. <laughs> hello, hello. Hi everyone. And Keeping up with the spirit of continuity, Bhavesh and Sid are not joining us today. So if you want to know what makes an unsuccessful sports franchise, just look at us. I, I would say, Shivank, we, uh, we money ball them out. They're not value for money. <laughs> we'll re- re- replace both of them with Ali and uh, we'll be better off. <laughs> well, My XG is much higher. <laughs> that's right. The... Uh, the uh, expected uh, X factor from Ali is way higher than those two. <laughs> well, this is shaping up to be an excellent episode. Anyway, um, in the last episode, we took uh, we took a look at what makes a team successful, and we considered three factors: the board or the ownership, the players, and the coach or the manager. This week, we continue looking at some other things that make a sporting franchise successful, and the topics we wanted to cover off were basically things like continuity, um, the entire principle of Moneyball, and ultimately finances or having rich owners. Let's start off with continuity then. Ali, let's get your thoughts on this one first. How important do you think continuity is? I think continuity is super important. And you guys mentioned it last week as well to add to the continuity, uh, which was, you know, with the All Blacks, after even after the debacle of the World Cup, they kept the team together. They kept the coaching staff together, which was a big deal because um, before that, every World Cup, when the All Blacks didn't win, everyone got sacked and started again a new project. And so this time they kept the core team. They said, all right, we're going to learn from our mistakes and fix them for the next World Cup. And that continuity helped drive the team. And that, um, you know, then we saw the rise of the All Blacks, of the All Blacks that we all wanted to see. Uh, and along with that as well, um, there's been obviously a numerous other examples of um, teams that have had some really, really good continu- continuity um, over the decades that just continually know how to get there, know how to win. And what it creates is that blueprint or that buy-in from the playing group that you just expect. And, you know, the famous um, the the famous with Liverpool and with Manchester United where you uh, in the second half you just you know you, the, the, like Manchester United always score they'll always score late they'll always score in that second half because the continuity has actually led to the other uh, opposition teams fearing them more and they just they, it's in their mind that they're going to concede and then they end up conceding mm. so um that's actually part of it as well like it's just it's it's, it's, a, it's a psyche it's um that continuity just drives a whole psyche of the team and everyone around. Point, point, really well made, Ali. It, it, it's not something that I, I, when we think of continuity, 
we probably think about that that dominant management figure. So obviously the All Black coaching staff with with United, we've seen so Alex. Uh, an example from the NRL is is Craig Bellamy and 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 the Melbourne Storm. But but I think you've touched quite well on this on on the culture that that continuity creates. So this constant propelling of standards to achieve higher and higher. I know that was massive at United during Ferguson's reign. There was this, uh, there was many a journalist that said after United won a trophy, so Alex would celebrate that night. And the next morning it was all forgotten. It was, it was a case of what's next. What are we going to do next? Um, uh, Richie McCaw's example, um, it, it was it was really well shown in in in, in the book um, that the the book after the World Cup where there's this thing that he would say to himself each week, start again, right? It, it doesn't matter what you did the week before, you've got to start again, and I think that that continuity creates this culture of excellence. And then, and from that culture of excellence, what you get is um, just the sense of humility and, and drive, I think, that almost grinds the opposition down. Uh, again, the, the United example from down the, down the years where, and I guess we also saw it with the All Blacks. You know, mm. let's be real here. I know Shivank's probably giving his, um, his Aussie friends tons of grief <laughs> about this, but Australia haven't won the Bledisloe for well, probably since before Shavank was born. Um, <laughs> you know, there we go. There is something about that continuity and that, that culture that the opposition almost lose even before you play the game. So I, I think continuity is yep. huge, Shavank. Yeah. And I think um, just talking on books, um, there's a book that was written on the All Blacks called Legacy. I don't know how many have read it, but the culture that's instilled in the old blacks camp is one to marvel at. Like it doesn't matter who you are. Once you're done with training, once you're done with everything, you go back, you clean your own stuff up and then you walk out the door Mm. just because you're an old black doesn't give you any extra entitlements. You've earned the Jersey. You still have to respect it. And that creates such a powerful mindset in your team. It just adds to your drive to win. Yeah. And, and, and look what what you've, what you've said there, Shivank is, where continuity is beyond the individual. So you may have a different yep. um, head coach for the All Blacks, right? So uh, obviously in the last decade, we've seen uh, the transition from Graham Henry to, to Steve Hansen and then from Steve Hansen now to Ian Foster. But that culture, right? I, I think it's up to the senior management within the franchise or the team to recognize that this is something we're going to keep yeah. because it works for us. How many times have we seen in football where a new manager's come in and he said, look, we're going to rip up the playbook, right? Um, we actually uh, were talking about Ferguson earlier. Um, a, a lot of people that wrote about his successor, David Moyes, they say the biggest mistake he made was getting rid mm. of all of the coaching staff under Ferguson because with that, you lost some of that culture. You lost some of that drive that, that Ferguson had distilled down to some of the coaches at a, at a lower level. And, and by coming yeah. in and, and saying, I'm the new guy, I'm going to bring in my people and we're going to do this my way, I'm not saying United would have won the title under David Moyes, but it would not have been as painful. Mm. It would not have been as jarring, definitely. 
uh, there is something I'd like to throw back your way, uh, Shivank. Now, as much mm-hmm. as Ali and I have spoken about continuity and the, and the need to to sort of continue the things that work as you replace the figureheads of the organization, how do Chelsea keep doing it? it it's, it's one of these baffling things where every time they sack a manager, um, <laughs> Ali and I often, we, we love to have a laugh at, at Chelsea, but... but but there you guys are, you know, a number of months later, winning the winning the big trophies. How does this continuity thing work with with Chelsea, my friend? Well, we keep continuity at the highest level, i.e., well, used to with Roman Abramovich. <laughs> <laughs> There's your sense of continuity. We had continuity with the board and the players. We just changed one layer in the middle. <laughs> now, all jokes aside, all jokes aside, uh, there were two reasons why it. You know, Chelsea seems like they're polar opposite to how continuity works. Um, the first thing is every time a new manager came in, even though they brought in their own, own coaching staff, there was always someone in the coaching staff who was connected to the club in some way or the other. So it doesn't matter if the new coach didn't, doesn't speak the language or is fairly new to the country. There will always be a sense of continuity mm. or something that connects the, the team management to the fabric of the club. Mm. Um, you can take the current team, for example, before, uh, not well, up until very recently, Joe Edwards was still at the club. He was the um, coach at the academy. Frank Lampard's backroom staff was entirely people who are connected to Chelsea through and through. Mm. You keep on going back, um, Maurizio Sarri, he had Gianfranco Zola, one of, the best, uh, one of the best Chelsea players ever in his coaching mm. staff. So that's one way to keep continuity. The second way to keep continuity is you have intelligent players in your team okay regardless of how you acquire them whether you pay the big bucks or whether they come through your academy or you money ball the thing you have intelligent players who are comfortable playing multiple systems Mm. so even if the manager comes in rips the playbook out you know we go from a high line to a medium line it doesn't matter because the players have high enough of a footballing iq that they just adapt to it and if you have strong leaders in the group, which we saw in the late 2000s, so when you have the likes of Drogba, Terry, Lampard, Balak, all international captains of their in their own rights leading the pack, it doesn't matter who the manager is as much because you still have a core leadership group that is driving the team to success. So it may not be evident that there isn't there is continuity at the club. There's the fact is there always was continuity at the club and that's why we've been successful. We haven't been great in the league over the last 10, 12, 15 years, evidenced by the fact that we've only won it twice. We've been a very successful cup team simply on this principle. Yeah, and I guess what I'm hearing from that, Shivank, is there is a model there that perhaps has a method to the madness and and look looking in sometimes it, it does feel like there is a sense of madness going on here oh there is don't get me wrong there is still a big <laughs> sense of madness <laughs> i would say that the secret sauce the secret sauce is what jose brought to chelsea and that's that siege mentality and every time chelsea drop a manager they get into that siege mentality and then they all kind of band together and go and win something basically Basically, so, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, Jose might be who he is now, but I'll always have respect for him as a manager because what he did back in 2004 to 2007 has basically shaped what this club is today. And so for that, I'll always ever be grateful for to him. Uh, now, contrary to popular opinion, 
that isn't why Parvesh is missing. There isn't a, uh, a legal <laughs> a legal process being undertaken by Jose against Parvesh. He's, he's actually busy. Uh, well, if he isn't back next week, then things might appear fishier. But yeah, let's go with that for now. <laughs> Jose has not taken legal action against Parvesh. But yeah, um, if you continue on from you know continuity the other interesting thing that really drives modern day sports teams and it's more evident i would say in the american sports than it is in football or cricket or even rugby for that matter but there are still shades of it is the entire principle of moneyball gurpreet can you just explain to everyone who's listening what the principle behind moneyball is absolutely uh, as a as a as a stats geek, uh, this is uh, this is what I've been waiting all this time for. <laughs> Couldn't it's have found not, a better person. Uh, and I guess uh, Shivank, you've you've touched on American sports, and I, I guess why it's so important in the US is because a, a lot of the pro sports there have a they have a salary cap. So you've got to be smart with yep. your money. You you can't be blowing that money. There's a there's a draft system. Mm. There's a salary cap. You you cannot be blowing these opportunities. You know, in a way that say, again, if we use football, like a, a lot of the elite football clubs do, there, there is no discrepancy yep. to, to that extent. Now, Moneyball, quite simply, is um, is where you're using statistics over some of the more traditional knowledge that exists in 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 sports so a very simple example here is um if we look at football and we look at the um the the traditional knowledge that that goals are the biggest commodity in football and you go and you pay top dollar for the guys that score you goals one of the ways in which moneyball is used in football um beyond what dev lala does with his fpl team is is xg (laughs) so um expected goals now, expected goals is where um, a striker may have scored 20 goals, but he was expected to score 12. So they're looking at the quality of his chances. And in that, there is where the striker is taking his shots from, who was around him at the time. Basically, if he takes a shot, how likely is he on a scale of 0 to 1 to score that? Now, you may have a, stri- you may have a striker who scores 20 goals, but his XG for that season might be 12. So he's outperformed his expected goals by eight. Now, that might be due to a really, really spectacular run. It could also be due to poor goalkeeping, poor defending. And so what clubs like Brentford, and, and Brentford, I guess, is the most famous example of, of Moneyball currently in, um, in Europe almost. What a side like Brentford would do is they would say, okay, we've got two strikers here who are statistically very similar in the sense that they've played a similar number of games, they've taken a similar number of shots, but we have a striker who scored 20 goals with an XG of 12, and we have to pay £30 million to sign him. And on the other side, we have another player who has scored five goals with an XG of 11. So this person has actually underperformed their XG, and he may cost, you know, three million pounds so we're going to go and sign the three million pound player we will hope that he performs better against his xg and then we will either sell him for a higher amount or we will keep him and rise through the divisions Mm. very simply that's what moneyball is 
<laughs> but talking about Moneyball, I think you miss one of the factors that determines how good a player's XG is, whether they were up against Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof or not. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I'd say. Uh... You, f- you forget David De Gea, though. So, you know, that kind of balances out. It's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a number of players from Watford and Brighton and Liverpool and Man City who have had their XGs inflated because they were up against Victor Lindelof and and Harry Maguire. A point very well made, Shabak. Just taking another sport as an example, the NRL has Moneyball written all over it as well. Talk to us about it. Yeah, yeah. So the NRL, obviously, now uh, coming back to like the American model, they have a they have a salary cap, right? And so there is a you know kind of some crazy money ball going on. Um, there is um, the Dragons who um, who had a fortuitous, fortuitous week victory this weekend. Um, they're essentially assembled. Um, They've assembled a team of essentially rejects from other teams. They've got a couple of their own younger players, but um, half their team is still being paid by the other clubs. Uh, that's how they've assembled their team. So the players contracted for like, say, 400000 a year, um, and they've come in and said, hey, we'll take this player off you, but we're only going to pay him 200 a year. You're still going to have to pay the 200 and the clubs agree because it saves both clubs money. And the player still earns four hundred, but now they're paying playing. You know, the the dragons only paying two hundred of it. Um, so they're saving a lot of money, which means they can go out and kind of spend it on a bigger name player or and do moneyball that way. And somehow, you know, yeah, the half their team is still getting paid by another by a number of other clubs. And mm. um, then you get the opposite example where you have um, the really good teams, Storm and Roosters, who have the same salary cap as everyone else but all the players gladly take a pay cut to go play for them because they're promised to win or they have continuity and success so they're like if i go there i'll take I'll, I'll earn a little bit less but i'll win a trophy or i'll you know play really well so my next contract will be really big and i can move i can move to another team and get a lot of a lot of money out of it so um there's a bit of inflation and all kinds of all kinds of funny funny money ball business. Yeah, and 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 on that, I think uh, particularly in the NRL, where when you're trying to when you're trying to sign a player, there is so much competition. So you know, if we if we look at a, a young up and coming talent in in the NRL through the through the age grade levels, where they might be looking to sign for a number of clubs it's not just the case of picking the right talent, but also figuring out how they will fit into your side. And, and arguably, I, I'd say this is something the Warriors in in terms of moneyballing our recruitment that, that we haven't got right, where we've gone and probably signed mm. big names, but we haven't exactly figured out how these new names are going to be moneyballed into our system. Because that, that that's the other really important aspect with Moneyball Shavank is it, it's not just a case of finding the stats monsters, right? It's it's also Moneyball is also about how these young up and coming players or these these value for money 
rejects, as Ali called them, how they fit into your system, right? It's yeah, Moneyball isn't just about putting together a um, a squad of misfits that are statistical monsters, right? It's it's all about it's also about molding a a cohesive unit, and arguably that is something the Warriors have not got right in the NRL. Mm. It's it's also something that United have not got right at all. Um, although these aren't. Um, these aren't statistical monsters. <laughs> there are some other statistical monsters in the United team, but um, <laughs> yeah. I think even with the Warriors, um, if you were to have a look at um, the statistics, um, if, even if you have having a look at the statistics of the Warriors, I think early season, everyone was really concerned about the run meters coming out from the outside backs. And they said, if you look at their averages on their statistics, they're That's not right. going to get you the That's run right. meters. Warriors are going to struggle for field position. And that's exactly what's happened all season. They haven't got the run meters. They've struggled for position all all season. It's it was it was kind of an obvious thing. So maybe some movements that might happen, moneyball related, um, might mean we get some stats in in the back line. And and I guess just just to make sure that we have a bit of continuity from from the last episode <laughs> where we had uh, we had Sid talking about the IPL. Um, now, I, I guess I'm, I'm more of a geek as far as um, football is concerned, but one of the things I've seen in the IPL guys is this whole thing around your marquee players, right? So you have these, um, these big players that are paid the big bucks. How do we think those players um, sort of moneyball against some of your more bargain pickups? Well, the, the big name marquee players are always going to be big name marquee players, right? Like there's a reason they're the big name marquee players because they get paid the big big bucks but you can only have one of them or two of them in a team you still have to fill out and fill out a team of 11 so um there's always space for um you know like the odd pickup which is cheap but outperforms like half of the ipl or is a breakout superstar i mean i guess i guess to use a more concrete example like if, if we take someone like ms Doni, for example do, do we think as a as the top paid player for for chennai is he actually like if Brentford were in charge of the recruitment for for Chennai, <laughs> uh, would would he be the most moneyball signing? Well, they'd have to find their own version of Christian Eriksen. <laughs> <laughs> but but he would add to their continuity. <laughs> he would. He would. He definitely would. He is over thirty. Takes the first box. <laughs> Continuity right there. No, but if you think about it, like you, you look at the top salary earners in the IPL right now. Uh, your top three are basically Emma Stoney, Rohit Sharma, and Virat Kohli. Um, guess who, how many of them have actually performed well this season? And who's stolen the show <laughs> for for their three teams? Exactly. So th- there, there, is, there is a lot to be said. And, and again, this is... Um, we've seen countless examples of this where... And then I guess, um, you know, as, as early as today with the money that it, it's literally all over the news as far as sports is concerned, but the money that um, PSG are going to be paying Kylian Mbappe to, to sign on. Some of these numbers are so ridiculous. How can one player, regardless <laughs> of how good they are, be that important, right? And, and, and the Moneyball model simply is where you basically say, look, at a certain point, not worth it. We're going to take that money and we're going to sign five players, right? And look, all five of them may yeah. not work out, 
of those five, three may work out, but those three players combine a bit of value than one Kylian Mbappe. Um, we've seen, uh, very famously, we've seen <laughs> Liverpool do that with, um, with, with Philippe Coutinho, right? So they, they, sold, uh, they basically sold a lemon to Barcelona, used some of that money to sign um, Alisson and Van Dijk and Dijk. went on to win. <laughs> you know, that, that, that is classic, classic money ball. Mm. But, you know, um, my opinion is that the Qatari Sports Investment Group literally took the definition of money ball, like wrap money into a big ball <laughs> and pass it on to Mbappe. <laughs> I don't think they actually bothered reading, reading the definition of the meaning. This is like, oh, money ball. Yep. Wrap it into a 300 million euros Here's a, a ball year ball. Here you go, Killian. But no. Um, <laughs> the most money ball signing ever. <laughs> <laughs> a board goes to them right there <laughs> no but seriously like when when you pay 300 million euros supposedly to one player who's got an inside track now on who the sporting director is who the manager is which player comes in and out your club culture basically goes out the window it, it is it, everything we've spoken about in the last 26 minutes where you want to create continuity and a culture of humility and excellence and achievement and you want to do that with statistical oversight all of that went out the window this morning <laughs> all of it what if we're all just underestimating yep. Kylian Mbappe and Kylian Mbappe is the next Alex Ferguson he's going to play he's going to score an amazing amount of goals and then he's going to be player manager and then he's going to lead PSG to 26 years of glory. In the Farmers League? Oh. Because <laughs> that's not a high benchmark. <laughs> hey, that's still 26 years of glory. Like, okay. <laughs> okay, there's no denying his talent. Like, he is one of the most talented players out there. He's possibly, along with Holland, the successor to the entire Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo debate. Jeez, 300 million euros a year. Sorry, I can't get my, I can't wrap my head around it. Uh, I, I am just, I am just baffled. Like if you look at, and, and you've got to, we've got to put all of this in context, right? Like we've seen Barcelona and United, uh, probably more so than any other club, just really struggle during this COVID sort of affected bunch of windows we've had where, it's just been so hard to offload players who were who are Deadwood because they weren't moneyball contract extensions or they weren't moneyball signings. And one of the one of the things we were hoping that would come out of this pandemic is the sense of prudence, right? Where clubs will suddenly say, "Look, we can't be paying this much money to an individual because if they have a poor season, we can't offload them easily." And uh, goodness me, uh, PSG just, uh, they, they took things to another level this morning. Gurpreet, this is implying that football and FIFA ever think about finances and ever think about future, future protection of money. Yeah, basically. Like, you can build a successful team with money. Like, we all know that. But geez, this is just taking it to the next level. Totally, totally. <laughs> like, okay, Leicester is... <clears throat> Possibly an exception to the rule right now, but if you look at the last, I don't know, 15 odd years of Premier League and Champions League winners or even winners in La Liga, um, they've all been teams that have built, that, that have been built on money, really. Like, yes, they've, they've mostly got the other five things right as well, but 
they've also been able to do it because of money. Now, whether they've it's because of rich owners or whether mm-hmm. it's been because of the ability to finance through massive player sales, but you can't deny, you can't actually win a league without money now. Like, you can get things horribly wrong with money, but you also need money to win the league. Bang on. Bang on, Shravank. And again, uh, going back to the Brentford example, uh, there is a sense of romance about Brentford. So so getting getting bought out by by a man who'd made his fortunes as a, as a gambler, getting promoted through the leagues and, and making it to the Premier League this season and doing so well to, to survive. I, I guess the, the question here is, Moneyball gets you to survive in the Premiership, but to actually win the Premiership, to win the Champions mm. League, to go and dominate season after season, Moneyball isn't enough, right? Yeah, you need that element of Moneyball, and and I guess uh, the 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 most successful example of this is is Brentford and 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 Liverpool to an extent. But but then you've got to have that financial clout, you know. You you've you've got to go out and shell mm. that money to sign Allison. You've got to shell that money to sign a Van Dyke after your statistical team and your yep. scouts have said this is your man, because unless you do that, you're not going to dominate. And and you're bang on the money, uh, uh, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got you've got to you've got to back it up with the financial side of things, because if you don't, um, someone else will. I mean, obligatory, and I have to do this. But when Spurs sold Gareth Bale for a hundred odd million euros. They bought seven players instead, and none of them were actually quality. Look what they ended up with. <laughs> and on the other hand, when Liverpool sold Coutinho for, you know, hundred and forty odd million or whatever it was, they they bought Van Dijk, they bought Allison, and two out of three seasons they've they've lost the league by a single point, and one season they've actually won it. Uh, writing off last season because both these players were injured for for the longest period of time, but yeah, like. No denying the importance of money. Mm. Oh, bang on! And and we we saw that with uh, we've mm. seen that with United as well. So the the season where we sold Ronaldo for a, a then world record eighty million pounds, United signed five players, right? And uh, most football yep. fans would not know their names, right? It it was just it, it was a clear intent from the ownership that after selling Ronaldo we weren't going to go and take things to the next level. Sure, we were, as Sir Alex said, from the day we signed him, he was never going to finish his career at United. So the the opportunity yeah. was always there to say, he's got to a level where Real Madrid are going to come calling and it's just going to be impossible for us to resist, for him to resist that temptation. So who are we going to sign to take us to the next level? There was an opportunity back then, um, very famously, to go and sign Karim Benzema, but we hesitated, and look how that's turned out, right? And 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 this is where financial backing is important. You, you've you've actually really got to go and say, we've done our work, we backed the scouting team. Um, you, you even take a step back, and the whole David Beckham thing, and David Beckham when David Beckham went to Real Madrid, and United were chasing Ronaldinho and when that didn't happen who did they sign they signed yeah. an 18 year old from Sporting Lisbon to play on the right wing right and um yeah. that was money well spent but that was money ball gone right yeah yeah that's money ball gone right mm. but the flip side is when you sell Ronaldo for 
when you sell Ronaldo for 80 odd million and you replace him with Gabriel Obertan, you know things are going south. Yeah, and, and, and I guess that this is where it kind of ties to your the point you made at the the point you made at the start of this piece. I, I think a lot of the money balling that was going on at United then was the genius of Sir Alex Ferguson, right? So it was Sir Alex Ferguson's genius in saying, okay, I can't get a Ronaldinho. I'm going to go and sign this 18-year-old kid from Sporting Lisbon, right? And he will become the successor to David Beckham. And I think <laughs> what we've seen over the last decade is where the financial backing isn't there, the strategy isn't there, and you lose that kind of goat money ball director of football, then you get the steaming heap of dog shit, right? That we've seen for the last decade, right? And, and so <laughs> it, it, the, the, the point here is you need money ball, but you also need that money because that's what it takes to win titles. And um, Pavesh made the point so beautifully yeah. in the last podcast that uh, as much as City have been successful, uh, they have identified the players that are going to fit their system and they have gone and signed them. And when they have got it wrong, and, and, and the most famous example of this that I can think of is um, in his first season, um, Pep Guardiola went out on a limb to go and get um, Claudio Bravo, mm, right? Uh, your, your money ball goalkeeper, yep. right? Um, you know, passing monster from the back. Got that horribly wrong. And then effectively the very next season, shipped them out, got Edison in, and Edison really has been the difference in a lot of their close games where he's basically been worth somewhere between six to ten points to them per season, right? Easily. Easily. That that, yep. that is yep. that is money ball plus financial clout. And the the two go together when it comes to winning the big trophies. Hmm. But it's also been made possible thanks to a continuity that they've had. Um, a good manager and a good board backing it to find the player. And so, you know, you mix these six things together because they're also nicely intertwined. You'll end up with a winning team. It's not one player or one manager that's going to get it right for you. It's all these things put together in some combination. Absolutely. And then every now and then you get a Leicester, you know, you just get a Claudio Ranieri winning, winning the premiership. And look, that this is where this is where I guess uh, you know I guess in in these um, in, in this segment we've spoken about you know effectively six things now that all define success and uh, I think the Leicester example is is so beautiful, Ali, because that is that is probably the the seventh element where even when you get all of these things right and you get them perfect elite sport at that top, top level still comes down to luck, right? And look, I, I'm not saying Leicester were lucky. I'm not taking away from their title, but <laughs> but actually there is this there is this unpredictability to sport. There is this, you can plan everything perfectly, but every once in a while, a Leicester's going to come along and they're going to completely throw your plans out the window. And that's actually what makes sport beautiful, right? It's getting these six things right sometimes isn't enough, right? Because... Success often comes down to one one penalty kick. Gurpreet, you can get all six things right, but if you come up against N'Golo Kante, N'Golo Kante wins. N'Golo Kante wins. That's just how, how it goes in football sometimes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. absolutely right. You could be Kevin De Bruyne charging at goal with only one defender in front of you and out of nowhere, N'Golo Kante will come and steal the ball away. That's right. And you can have all of the financial backing, all of the money ball, all of your continuity, but that is sport. That is sport, my friends. 
And that is what makes it beautiful and frustrating at the same time. <laughs> I think Sir Alex summed it up really well. Football, bloody hell. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 look, uh, and again, you've just you've just named another absolute freak, right? Like he, here is a guy that just um, and, and look, every every sport has had it, right? Where um, the 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 strength of um, the strength of the sporting figure's personality is so great, right? They are such an amazing motivator that it, it in some ways compensates for other areas, right? It it compensates for a lack of financial backing and a lack of money ball, right? A, a lack of um, <laughs> sports science. Um, again, it's one of those unknowns, immeasurables that just make sport just as beautiful as it as it is. Can we truly end the episode without mentioning the Gerard slip? <laughs> <laughs> Made my day. Made my day. <laughs> Yep, you can get everything right, and then, you know, if luck doesn't favor you and you slip on the pitch, well, you let it yep, slip. It just goes. Unlike what you say to the, your players just before, like, you know, in the previous game, we do not let this slip. Sometimes a slip is all it takes to steal things away from you. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to our panel for their thoughts and opinions on this. If you want to get Sports Nerdy with the team, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We go by the handle at the Pod. We'll be back next week looking into some more interesting sports topics, getting nerdy with a lot of banter right here on The Backpass.